0: hello everyone and boo to you all uh this is our special <laughs> festive halloween time that we have otherwise known as gay christmas and magnus and i uh i'm john donald of course are excited to talk to you about some of our favorite uh horror stuff this halloween there's always going to be more uh because queerness mm. and horror are very inexorably linked uh sometimes mm. Sometimes it's very obvious, sometimes it's not. Um, I think today will be on the less obvious side, although some of the stuff you want to talk about may be more obvious. Um, but so we decided to start off, um, we've been doing some Halloween, but we decided to start off our like official quote unquote Halloween talk, talking about um, found footage, which is one of mm-hmm. uh, both of our favorite subgenres of both horror and video games for various reasons. We're going to talk about found footage horror today. So there is Mm. also sort of a subgenre that's found footage action, found footage police films, um, found footage dash cam stuff on YouTube. So this is going to be found footage horror. It's not Mm. going to be all of them. It is not a complete list. I have an actual like four or five different tabs pulled up with stuff that if we get times, I'll be like, and check this out. Um, so this may end up being a much bigger conversation, but they all have some kind of links. Um, hmm. so before, uh, before we get into it, uh, I just want to say hello to Magnus officially, since that was not part of my open opening spiel, and let Magnus <laughs> say hello to everybody else. Hello,
1: hello, darling, and hello, everyone. Welcome to our lovely little October boudoir, so to speak. Hey, we got. Pol- It almost feels like we could do an opening reminiscent of the Twilight Zone or the Night Gallery, etc., when discussing all of this.
0: Uh, I will say you can't see it because I have a filter up, but I am working on a neon version of a doorway entry like they have in Dragula for the newer seasons, where it's like a neon coffin shape you walk through to get to their boudoir, and I kind of fell in love with the concept. Um, I am a big fan of Dracula. That will not surprise anyone to know. I think it's both gay as hell and super scary as hell. (laughs) Um, And this Halloween on Shudder, and a lot of my references for found footage are going to come from Shudder. Um, This Mm -hmm. Halloween on Shudder, they are going to be breaking Shudder because they're going to be releasing season five on Halloween evening, I believe um and the, uh on halloween night and the halloween evening one of the things i'm going to be talking about today is releasing a trailer um the night Ooh. before so shutter going to be madness the week of halloween this year uh, <laughs> i don't know if jim bob is doing one of his drive-in movie things but it's going to be madness and it's probably going to break so stick with shutter if you have it it's going to be a really exciting month um so we're going to talk about found mm. footage, and I want to start with the original found footage film. Mm. Uh, Magnus, do you know what this film is? Do you know what it's called?
1: Ooh, are we to- now? There's one that comes to mind, yes. but I don't know whether this actually created the concept or just popularized it. Are we talking about Blair Witch?
0: We are not. We are talking about what influenced Blair Witch, uh, which is going to be the Ooh. one I'm going to talk about.
1: Marble Hornets.
0: Uh, not Marble Hornets. Marble Hornets was actually influenced by Blair Witch.
1: <laughs> uh, if you're going the look, wrong
0: direction, pull back, pull back.
1: No, I've got my hand on the rope, but I don't know what way I'm going with the rope. So yeah, why don't fine. you put a big blinking sign up for me? <laughs> so in
0: 1980, in Italian cinema, mm-hmm. they were grappling, uh, specifically this director was grappling with war footage from Vietnam. That he had seen and how absolutely gr- grotesque and brutal it was and how visceral it was and he created a film in 1980 that became uh, a favorite of people like Eli Roth it's one of the darkest horror movies ever made it's the first found footage film officially it is 1980s Italian cinema um, Cannibal Holocaust which you can find on Shutter. But it is a very difficult movie to watch. It is very uh, it is very graphic, uh, pointedly so. It is, it is done with that point. Um, and this also uh, became one of the first video nasties when it finally arrived in England in 1984. And the video nasties, of course, were in response to vhs stores stocking all of these kind of indie and uh newer horror films uh it's kind of like in the 90s in america when they started putting like the parental guidance stickers on cds Mm. um but cannibal holocaust is the first found footage film and it's one of these uh video nasties they're called and video nasties do fall into three categories uh, prosecuted films where they literally could shut you down for it non-prosecuted films and then an actual video nasties category which are supposed to be safer for some reason but yeah so video nasties were a completely british creation about obscenity laws and trying to control video very much the Hayes code mm. from the 1940s but updated for the 1980s um this is one of the few found footage movies i haven't seen because cannibal holocaust is quite frequently really difficult to watch uh eli roth created a movie based on cannibal holocaust uh much later in his career uh green inferno i think it's called uh also very hard to watch because it's basically the same thing um i don't know if he would say that but i think so but so to give you some context about what we're going to talk about found footage today essentially is found footage can be graphic, sometimes not. It can take place indoors, sometimes not. It is sort of this realistic taboo in a way. So Cannibal Holocaust Mm. is about the consequences of going into a rainforest-type scenario and meeting locals and doing something uh, really bad to dishonor them, and the reality of Cannibal Holocaust is that the people that did the bad thing had had all of the things happen to them based on the bad thing they did which i'm couching in vague terms because i can't really say what they did uh without making this not just an explicit Mm -hmm. but a uh non-playable episode So let's just say it's bad you can look on the wikipedia for cannibal holocaust if you want to but it's from 1980 it's from italy and it kicks off found footage that's that's the context of this conversation
1: i was going to say that anything that we discuss today um can very much be easily found and such we're not going to do a real in-depth thing with a number of these things because it it, each alone would probably be worthy of an episode or a mini episode just discussing it um but we will give like a really good look at what these different things we're going to talk about are um in, in a way almost give it like a sample a teaser as to why you should uh, indulge yourself in them yourself
0: uh what's interesting too is that though a lot of found footage isn't mm. banned cannibal holocaust remains one of the few found footages that is banned in more than a couple countries um mm. and but but that kind of helped its infamy in that this label of other this label of being banned this label of being super grotesque actually made people that wanted to see that kind of thing and wanted to experience that part of horror Mm. uh, helped to define it so Saw and Hostel later would both have that same kind Mm. of thing happen in its own way I for one am not a fan of the Saw and Hostel movies but I know Mm -hmm. people that really love them over other kind of more found footage hybrid films um which i would not consider saw i consider the first shot of found footage but we're not going to talk about that today uh Mm because i just don't have the energy or strength this halloween to talk about the saw
1: films (laughs) that that's quite right so we must stick to our favorites at the end of the day um although we can acknowledge like other standouts that you know we might not personally enjoy but we can mention i feel that a really good way to sum up a lot of these films is it really allows the viewer to venture into the, the taboo and almost kind of feel like you're having a surrogate viewpoint into it because you you are realistically either looking through someone's eyes or you're looking direct through the camera at the events um, so that probably is what's really enticing about this particular genre of film um you know, be it action or um, horror, as we are discussing.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a, there's a, one of the tropes of this that is really important Mm. to it, and when I say trope, uh, trope, usually in context, people think a trope is a bad thing, but it's not a bad thing. Mm. It can be like a stereotype where it can be good or bad, where it can give you a shorthand for what to expect. Um, Mm. A trope of found footage is this idea of voyeurism. And as we're going to see that it's been played with in both film Uh, It's been played with now in video games, especially doing Mm. it. Uh, We're not going to talk about uh, The Adventures of Amanda today, but like when I think about the idea of voyeurism in video game, the original Mm. uh, Adventures of Amanda before it became a full release really did have that feeling. Uh, Mm. And so we're going to see a lot of commonalities between these films. But the one that I really want to start talking about Mm. um, is The Blair Witch Project in 99. Because this basically... Created not just an american version of it but it was so popular and it's still incredibly popular it's still one of the most popular um blair witch, the blair witch project is still one of the most popular horror movies not just found footage but mm. horror movies ever made i think it's like number 41 on the list of top 100s i read earlier uh but this 1999 project uh was one the first film really made to be advertised on the internet. So Mm. it was really made for our generation, essentially. Uh, (laughs) Two, it's one of the first ones where people definitely thought it was real because of the marketing. Got really Mm. disappointed when they realized it wasn't real and that it was like a hoax. But unlike Cannibal Holocaust, the director didn't have to bring out the dead actors so that he wasn't hauled into jail in court. Uh, They did not have to do that at the Sundance Film Festival where Blair Witch premiered, (laughs) but quite famously, Campbell Holocaust, the guy had to like bring the supposedly dead actress to court so he wouldn't get thrown in jail. Oh
2: my god!
0: Yeah, it's well, it's an intense movie, but uh, so Blair Witch is intense, but Mm. in a different way. Uh, It's more psychological horror, uh, especially if you are afraid of like getting lost in the woods. For me, the finale scene of Blair Witch and the setup of Blair Witch
2: hmm.
0: are as strong as the middle of the movie itself. And usually I'm in found footage, especially a middle of the movie person. I don't care about the background stories of the actor. I just want them to get to the creepy house and watch how they die. <laughs>
2: um,
0: but for Blair Witch, the setup is important and the finale of it really pays off the whole thing. I think it's probably yes. one of the strongest horror finales of all time Um, and it takes place in Maryland so go America Uh, (laughs) it takes place in a little place called uh, it's called let me see what it's called here it's called Burkittsville Maryland is the name of the town uh, which is a real town I guess that you can Mm. actually go to and then they filmed in a the nearby forest after hearing all these stories about the Blair Witch which was this
2: Mm.
0: fictional creation they made up but it seems so real when they talk to the people. If you watch this movie now, it yes. really does feel like oh, this is a local legend of something you should not mess with, but you three people are going to go mess with it! Um, and which is really all found footage is people going to poke the stick at the supernatural when <laughs> you shouldn't be doing it, essentially.
1: <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, yeah, there has to be something to be said about the fact that people have probably seen so much horror now that you could almost see it as survival guides of, like, you know, what not to do to preserve your own skin sort yeah. of thing. <clears throat> I think with Blair Witch, it's, it's very down-to-earth and very personal. Um, because it's got a very small-key cast, you're constantly with them and such rather than having a big ensemble cast. And they're going through quite a personal, personal experiences of, you know very understandable fears of being lost in the woods being unable to find your way out worried about running out of food and water and such and yet at the same time they seem to be entangled with something that's almost lurking overhead of them like they're caught within this presence that is messing with them so it's all to me a blend of very practical fears and also hmm, the. Uh, the unknown what the unknown the supernatural that how on earth do you deal with that
0: yeah and this is the type of film that boggles my mm. mind a little bit because trying to make a movie with three people is difficult to be able to hold a whole film uh paranormal mm. activity which is um Saul blair which and fell in love with it the paranormal activity franchise was originally just three people as well in a way. Uh, we're not gonna time to talk about paranormal activity, that would have to be its own thing, because that's its mm. own franchise now. But you can't acknowledge paranormal activity without first talking about Blair Witch in a way, because Blair mm. Witch really does set the scene. Um, a lot of the tropes that we find now are involved in this. Uh, but this movie feels intensely personal, is the mm. real difference between this and other found footage because they're holding handy cam camcorders, not steady cams. There is no overall camera, which a lot of found footage does do now, where mm. it's coming from a non <laughs> a non cameraman character yes. uh, to kind of clean it up so it looks cleaner. This is a very gritty, very shaky. When they're yelling at each other, when Josh goes missing, so now there's only two people left. Mm. Um, And the fact they don't show the Blair Witch, they only show the carnage the Blair Witch Lee is behind. My criticism of the sequel, Book of Shadows, is that they show the Blair Witch in that, and I kind of like this better because they don't show the villain. It almost feels like the forest itself is coming after them, and that makes me very happy.
1: Mm. I've actually um, seen a couple of um, fan theories before, and there's definitely room for open interpretation of what actually happens in the film um i've seen theories where P- there has said that it's not necessarily the witch but the forest itself is possibly malevolent another angle is the two guys set up the whole thing to mess with the uh, fe- i forget their names um the female character and secretly this was their plan to lure her to kill her in the spooky house sort of thing. Um, the fact that there is so much openness probably helped to create like a real sense of involvement from the viewer in what they were watching.
0: Yeah, and in 99, the internet community was for so, so for the Blair Witch project, you'd end up going to a website, but it wouldn't have like like you'd have to go to a message board for Blair Witch, you'd have to find the community. Hmm people that wanted to talk about it and something like the guys setting up heather who's the f- one female character in order to murder her Aye. or whatever that actually comes across in other future films so somebody saw that and thought well i can make that film and then they proceed to do it later um, mm. what's really great about the blair witch is you have a lot of good iconography and how they hold the camera the the girl with the at the end, uh, the, by the middle of the end of the movie with her, like, she's crying and there's not dripping out of her nose, and it's like super ugly and non commercial Hollywood. That is yeah. a shot that when you say found footage horror film, people almost automatically think of this kind of midnight tent, definitely know you're going to die Blair Witch moment. And it's something that mm-hmm. all the found footage has tried to copy almost successfully, but mostly unsuccessfully. Um,
1: Mm, yeah. it's an iconic moment and yeah. i think that is mm, the 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 ending with the chap in the corner maybe comes close to it but uh, the tent apology is definitely the iconic um shot from that flick yeah. as you said yeah. <laughs> as you say people have tried to replicate it to varying degrees of success
0: <laughs> and, and i think that finale shot to only works because we can hear heather screaming in the background because we Mm. have the setup in the beginning of the story of the blair witch and what she does to the kids and then at the end we get the payoff of the guy in the corner who seemingly can't hear or respond to heather and then we hear heather talking to him trying to not Mm. getting close enough to touch him but trying to like shake him out of his revelry Mm. and failing and that sense of doom and finality and the just to mm. hear her voice and how authentic it was. Um, if you try to listen, if you try to watch it without sound, Blair Witch doesn't work as well. Some of the found footage mm-hmm. we're going to talk about later, or some of the video games we're going to talk about, still kind of work without sound. Blair Witch mm-hmm. doesn't work without sound. Uh, the because the sets are so dark on uh, Nightfall because they were in the forest, so there's no mm-hmm. ambient light without. The hearing of the witch, quote unquote, shaking the tent, it doesn't have the same atmosphere. So for Blair Witch, you actually need, um, you actually need the sound yeah. in a way that you may not need for future uh, found footage films.
1: Mm. I have to admit, I absolutely. So I, on the personal note, I absolutely love horror, but I am sometimes with a scaredy cat with it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, on a little personal insight. The first time I did watch it, I had to keep pausing it every now and again because I was getting too terrified. <laughs> because I grew up in like out in the wilds, um surrounded by woods and things like that. And I've gone out in the evenings and such. So to me, this was a very personal um style of horror because I could actually vividly imagine it. So there were time and I found that one way I could cope with it was lowering the volume a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Because that helped to uh, alleviate some of the stress. (laughs) So,
0: in helping to alleviate some of the stress, too, I'm going to give you some fun facts about this movie, and then we're Mm. going to go on to the other franchise that this movie helped create. So the first franchise was Paranormal Activity. The second franchise, I will get to you after the fun fact. So here are the fun facts for Blair Witch. Uh, There are 20 hours of raw footage that had to be cut down into 81 minutes, by the way. Uh, which is an incredible Herculean feat, let me tell you. (laughs) If you've ever tried to to cut down footage, 20 hours of raw footage into 81 minutes is absolutely insane. Um, It is the 41st most profitable horror movie of all time. Hmm. Um, There is a version of the film's original ending that was scrapped because test audiences didn't understand it. Um, and this had to do uh, this had to do with what happened in the house, mm. uh, and it's n- I'm not sure based on the Wikipedia what exactly the alternate ending was, but test audiences were puzzled enough by it that they changed it, and I'm kind of glad they did. Okay. Um, <laughs> and the uh, the curse of the Blair Witch uh, was first broadcast on the sci-fi channel in 99 uh so it didn't become its own real movie until a little bit later but it was originally broadcast on tv which is another way this kind of locks into a generation because nobody's broadcasting stuff on tv now unless it's going to be successful on tv um hmm. CinemaScore gave it a score of a c plus which i guess is pretty good um and they call it a mock doc, a mock documentary. So found footage found footage at this point wasn't its own part of the lexicon. Um, mm. And so let's move over to with Cloverfield as a series. Uh, this is great because this is where mm. found footage, horror meets found footage sci-fi. and sci-fi and horror are very well linked. Um, Cloverfield does some really great things, Blair which doesn't do. Uh, for mm. me, Cloverfield has a really great foreshadowing that you don't see until you've watched the movie all the way through. Um, Cloverfield, unlike mm. Blair Witch, takes place in the big city. It takes place at night, which Blair Witch does take place at night sometimes, but not all the time. Um, mm. Cloverfield was something you were real passionate to talk about. So, what about Cloverfield made you want to bring it to the conversation?
1: Mm so cloverfield was one of the first found footage movies i went and saw at the cinema um i had seen some prior to this but there was something about it like there was a real buzz when cloverfield came out i recall um it seems kind of nowhere but then there was a lot of people here in the uk that were talking about it and certainly when i went um and this was about a week after it came out the cinema was packed um and people really got into it and i think it might be because of the fact it was such a interesting blend of different things that people at that point weren't really used to it wasn't just found footage horror as you say it was found footage sci-fi um there was a strong there was a semi-strong um Focus on the actual characters within because sometimes, with some fan footage, um, with films, shows, games, it really the characters are just the vehicle to tell the story and what's happening in these events and such. But the actual characters here, um, you became familiar with and such, um, and Yeah, it really did did stick with me, and I think another aspect of it was, even though it was in the big city, so to speak, the arrival of the influencing factor, not to try and spoil too much, all of a sudden turned the environment from safe and friendly to downright terrifying. Like, you all of a sudden got this feeling that Noah was safe in the city, and anything was about to happen um and the oh and the tunnel scene is absolutely great because of that then leads to the whole (laughs) dare i say alien reference later on the film which is fantastic so hmm Uh, and i suppose one last point i should bring up is it felt like you'd had blair witch and such and you had had other found footage horror films But I think Cloverfield was one of the first big mainstream found footage films that really sort of took off a bit and suddenly became a good basis for its own franchise, which didn't really continue found footage from what I could see.
0: They are making a direct sequel to it. Uh, The Wikipedia says that is happening. I have no information on it, and I assume J.J. Abrams is not involved in it. But maybe JJ is like, I'm gonna go back oh. to Cloverfield. Uh, quite famously, this is one of his, not his first project. I think Super 8 really is JJ Abrams' first project. If I remember JJ's, um, uh, disc, uh, JJ's filmography, uh, pretty well. I I don't think it is. I think I'm wrong about that. But Cloverfield is kind of his first horror film. I will say um and so he was something of a known quantity by the time uh this came out in 2008 uh one of the things i love about cloverfield if i can uh, kind of interject in the conversation Mm. a little bit here uh Mm. i want to make sure you got all your thoughts out first
1: i I feel i've covered the good points of what i wanted to bring up in relation to it so um please go ahead
0: yeah, so one of the things I love about this is that this is where you start to see, because now we go from '99 to 2008, so people have been doing found footage for a little while. Mm-hmm. Some successes, some not so successes. I'll call them charitably. <laughs> uh, Cloverfield is the first one that is more sci-fi based that I can that I can think of, because the VHS movies weren't out yet. Um, this was kind of the first one where it started to go a little bit artsy in my mind. It does seem very big budget when you see it. Um, Mm. Based in New York, it has a bit of a Godzilla theme to it in a way. Mm. Uh, They got the big shot of the Statue of Liberty's head falling quite iconically. This is the first one where it kind of has a film school sensibility to it in that it's messing with time because throughout the course of the film, you get earlier bits of footage that are kind of left on the tape or on the camera. Uh, So it's purposely a little messy. It purposely skips a little bit. Uh, The transitions are kind of clean from the filmmaker's point of view, but from the audience's point of view, it's a little bit jarring, uh, which is a really fun technique. It has its roots in Mm -hmm. uh, European Russian cinema, especially in messing with time and place. uh, Some of that editing, we only get out of out of Europe in some cases. Um, <laughs> this is also probably one of the only found footage films where there is a military presence. It has a really great kind of homage to zombie films, like the Romero films. It has this idea of the military being omnipresent, which is not mm. something you see because most found footage takes place in an abandoned location. Um, mm. I think it I think this film, really does pay homage in a lot of ways to the Romero films because there's a set number of characters one of them gets Mm. quote-unquote bitten and so she is then going to have to become something different and potentially die but you don't know how that's going to happen until it happens Mm. um I do think and you can correct me if I'm wrong in kind Mm. of the sequel ones I know in the sequel one where they're in the underground bunker and it's John Goodman I think one of the original characters is the person that ends up in the bunker. Uh, I think the blonde. Um, I could be wrong, uh, because maybe I—I'm I, pretty sure. And this is a spoiler. They both are assumed to have died at the end of this film. I'm not sure, but I—I I vaguely recall one of the hooks of the John Goodman Cloverfield one wasn't just it was set in an underground bunker with that big reveal, but also one of the original cast was supposedly involved. I could be wrong. I don't remember. i I am likely wrong. Uh, I will eat circus peanuts and nutrition if I am so. <laughs> but I feel I feel like it was supposed to be interconnected via one of the main characters.
1: I I'm a hundred percent sure like the uh, from what I recall, I believe that the main, female character is a relation of the chap the main male character from the first film but i could be wrong Ugh, i really need to uh, look through the, my notes on it again but yeah. they are they are interconnected to some degree yes
0: uh this movie is also great because there is backmasking, back masking which is one of my favorite conspiracy theory called things Uh, Backmasking is when you play a sound backwards and it's supposed to give you another message. Uh, People Mm. have talked about Britney Spears and Pink Floyd. If you listen to the credits of this film particularly, there are voices that can be heard saying things like, help us. Apparently when you play it in reverse, they say other things, um, (laughs) which is a lot of fun. I have not done so, but that's what the Mm. Wikipedia is telling me. Uh, Anyways, if you love J.J. Abrams' movie, which you probably love at least one J.J. Abrams movie, (laughs) uh, Cloverfield is part of his kind of canon body of work. Um, There's a really great, uh, there's also a really great futuristic feel to this because they're in New York, quote unquote, but they go to a place that's quote unquote formally known as Central Park. Um, So there's also this Mm -hmm. like otherworld futuristic feel to it. So it's almost yep. an alternate universe, but so close to our own that by the time you're fully immersed, you've forgotten they're mm. potentially somewhere else. Uh, it's so much fun.
1: Well, that's the hook. Um, when you see the when you see the start of the film, and it and it's basically um, some sort of like military archive document, and it's going on about how it's you know this is evidence that's been recorded of these events um and it's such a great little hook and we've said before about like um trends and tropes and things and you mentioned about the sort of back and forth with the um footage aspect previously like and also like the hidden audio and things and something i couldn't help but make a connection as you were talking about that is i i do wonder like how many of these little techniques and such have fed not only into later styles of found footage horror films and shows but also about the different found footage and analog horror um series that we'll be discussing later um because you do see quite a bit of that like carried through into those different things and it it works so well and i just wonder how much influence like popular films like this did have in making that commonplace.
0: Yeah, I love that. Uh, and originally I was just going to go, uh, not year to year, but I was going to go mm. through the films and the video games um, kind of in order of their appearance. But the idea mm. of an archive is so strong in Cloverfield, and that becomes really strong in Backrooms as well, which is, I know, something that you wanted to talk about a little bit mm. for this. So if we want yes. to talk about start start going into backrooms from the concept of this as a maybe fictional, maybe real archive, we can, we can start talking <laughs> about the backrooms, a little bit of SCP because I know you also want to talk about Liminal Land, um, which the closest I know about Liminal Land is Cragglewood Park, which is one of the SCP's archives, uh, weird character mm. things. Uh, so let's do a little bit about um, let's do a little bit about backrooms before uh, before our meeting ends here. So for for people that don't know what the backrooms are or for what the backrooms mean to you, uh, let's talk about the backrooms a little bit.
1: Ooh, excellent! And uh, I, this is one of those things that I've been following closely in recent years. Um, so to give a little bit of context. um, The Backrooms has been an ongoing shared horror universe that's been a massive writing project online for quite a few years now. Um, A number of people uh, have come together as a community online and they're writing about this fictional parallel reality to our own. Um, it's, It's called The Backrooms and The central premise of it is that if you're not careful you might accidentally end up within this space which it's either below our reality or living alongside our reality it's very mysterious um there are ways to forcefully enter if you want to (laughs) into the back rooms as well but once you get in it's nigh on impossible to get out and the with the writing project that's been done and there's multiple levels to the back rooms there's no indication of just how many levels there are but you end you start on sort of like an empty office space and you can very easily slip into um a a plush hotel that seems to go on forever an arctic wasteland and it's all very inhospitable terrain Nothing is safe within the back rooms. It's populated by horrible denizens that, if you're not careful, could very easily get you, and or do even worse stuff to you. Um. Now, as I mentioned, this has been going on for some time, but I, I think... started in twenty nineteen.
0: By the way, uh, that's the mm. the archive of oh, X, I thought which it was is a bit four... longer. The Archive of X, which is formerly Twitter, claims in a thread that it started in 2019 on a particular website. And So I don't know how long it's been a video game franchise for, but the writing project itself started in
2: 2019.
0: Hmm. That's what Wikipedia says. Um, Hmm. So there you go. Yeah, so apparently its actual start date from an anonymous user was May 13, 2019. Uh, May 12th is when the user started a thread and their 13th was their, like, May 13th was, like, their first mm. post about the backgrounds.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, but what's... Re- so that was the writing project, but what really popularized it, and I, I forget the exact date he brought out the first video. There's a young filmmaker called Kane Pixels, and he he created a found footage style analog horror short film which was simply titled The Backrooms he released it and it it absolutely exploded and he's gone on from there to make his own interpretation of the Backrooms lore Um, I forget how many videos he's done now it must be at least a dozen Um, Uh, 16
0: 16 is what Wikipedia says
1: um and it's absolutely massive i and the fact that kane i think he's 18 now i think he was 16 when he started the project um so it's actually quite fun (laughs) i take my hat off to him for sculpting such a great series of videos and such a brilliant ongoing mystery while he's crafting here
0: yeah
1: what's your take on the back rooms
0: i love a few things about the back rooms um I think when people compare it to other creepypastas like Slenderman, which I would argue is its own kind of found footage thing, I think Backrooms mm-hmm. is different for a few reasons. Uh, I think Backrooms is sort of the Blair Witch of this generation and that how they interact that is so effortless and so organic to them. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, it's something where you can endlessly make content for uh, TikTok, or for Instagram Reels, or YouTube Shorts, or all the short things now. Um, But there's something interesting about it in that it is very 1980s in its approach. It's very familiar horror. It has that faceless, um, almost American uh, uh, recording entity going out sending scientists from the secret military mm-hmm. bases, because that's kind of its whole conceit, right? Is that scientists in this military complex are trying to figure out what the backrooms are. That's kind of the entry point. Mm. Um, I like that it's a little playful, I like that it's nostalgic. So you get TikToks or Instagram reels about the backrooms that are like, uh, it takes the concept of, you know, the Chuck E. Cheese birthday playroom and turns it into horror without ever showing you a monster. It gives you, like, the dilapidated mall thing. Um, It gives you the sense of wonder, but turned kind of in that Five Nights and Freddy's way where it's wonder and nostalgia, but it also has a very malevolent persona to it. A24, which is one of my favorite studios that does horror films, um, is going to be making a film on it. So it's being released. Uh, it it is. It, it was announced February of this year. So forever ago now, really. Um, but A twenty four is working on a film adaptation of it. Uh, mm. I don't recognize any of the names associated uh, with <laughs> it that I can tell right now. But I would wager that in a place where the backrooms film might. I'm, I don't think I've aged out of it, necessarily. I'll potentially see it. But it does feel like a celebration of an internet culture that is a little younger than me. Mm. And I think that's great. I like that they're organically creating their own kind of horror. Uh, the backroom starts off in this very indoors environment, but it can move outdoors. It can stay indoors. Uh, it can leave you feeling very isolated and paranoid. Um, mm. And I really, I enjoy it for what it is. I don't think it's quite as, I don't think it's quite uncanny enough to be Uncanny Valley. I know that people like to put that Mm. label on it, but I don't think it pushes about, I I think it stopped just short of being Uncanny. But I think that's okay. Mm. Um, And I like that that kind of pushes what Uncanny Valley might be. It pushes what danger might look like. So I think the Backrooms is a really interesting kind of new version of horror and how people play horror as well because of something that is vr but still a callback to the vhs tape Mm. it's a really interesting kind of new yet familiar version of horror and it's very exciting for me so yeah
1: we talked about you just touched upon um uncanny valley in the sense of how an environment can unnerve you by, in a way, being in its mere presence. Um, If the back rooms didn't do that to you, then something else I want to touch upon, liminal land, might well actually be that thing then to scratch that itch, so to speak.
0: And I'm curious about this because I don't know anything about liminal land, but I'm a big fan Mm. of the SCP Foundation's 2571 craggle ah, if I can say it, Cragglewood Park, which is this (laughs) mythical theme park where you only see it in your dreams as a child. And there's this kind of Ray Bradbury-esque carousel that may or may not be taking children away. The idea of people that stay there too long might turn into trees themselves. So talk to me a little bit about Liminal Land because I have a website Mm. in front of me and it's very creepy and I love how creepy it is. Uh, it gives me that five nights at freddy for filter which i love but yeah tell me talk to me about uh, liminal land.
1: well i will in just a moment i'm going to bring up a point i thought about actually in relation to or everything that we talk about and everything that we will be talking about and i just want to say quickly before it leaves my head because you know what these thoughts are like you get you have a brilliant thought you try to hang on to it and then it just sort of like escapes
0: yes and i'm famous for it's talking a... over you so before it escapes
1: i what i was gonna say was do you think that the reason people get so excited for all these fan footage horror film things and such is because generally they are so new and such captivating original ideas that they're sort of filling in a space that isn't entirely scratched by contemporary popular mainstream media sometimes, which is like really focused on because you know, the cinema unfortunately is focused on franchises at the moment, on remakes and reboots and continuations and such. So maybe the reason why people get so excited at all of these new projects, is because they're such you know they're people telling their own new tales and such
0: so i think i have sort of a theory about this but it's a two-part theory one is that horror is a being allowed to become more personal so i'm Mm. thinking about new horror like jordan peele's work i'm thinking about talk to me which Mm. is that new one that is about the hand that apparently turns you into a demon i'm not sure i haven't seen it don't spoil it for me yet But I think there's something (laughs) about found footage that is a little more niche. It feels like you're either really into it and you're in on the quote unquote joke, you're in on the horror, or you're not. So I'm eventually going to talk about Grave Encounters, which is kind of like stick it to a wall if everything sticks or nothing sticks kind of found footage film. I think there's something about found footage where it either is something you really love and it's a sub-horror of a sub-genre of horror that you really get, or it's something where you watch the Marble Hornet series and you go, This is dumb. It's Slender Man, except that people disappear. Oh, well. You know, so it, it's kind of like you either get it or you don't. It feels a little bit like the way horror in the 80s in America felt, where it was a club where you went to a VHS store to get it. And it was something right. you were going to and traveling to. Um, I think Five Nights at Freddy's has the sort of same phenom- phenomenon feel in a different way. You know, I think uh, the Jordan Peele movies are sort of, they have that feel in a different way. It's kind of like the Saw movies are not for me. Hostel's not for me. But there are people that really love body horror films, really love Saw. Um There are people that love mystery films that love Saw. There are people that love puzzles that love Saw. I just don't happen to be that audience. But I think there's like an in or an out, you get it or you don't feature. Um, I also think found footage is a playful genre where Mm. they're kind of allowed to be like wink and nudge to the audience. You can easily do a spoof that is also found footage, which is part of what Grave Encounters is for me. Um, Okay. And and I love I love the inner out quality. I love that you get the bit or you don't. I love that found footage really is what it is, but like with Cloverfield or Blair Witch, when it pushes the boat, it does it really well. Uh, Par- Paranormal Activity is such an interesting concept because it's a possession film, but it's mm. also a haunted house film, but it's also found footage, um, which is why Paranormal yes. probably deserves its own episode entirely. But mm. yeah, I, I like Backwoods, because it's definitely your, your in or out thing. It's like you either really get the 80s nostalgia of it, or you're like, well, I've seen this before, and you, and you turn off the video and it never ends up in your for you again. But I get it every now and then, like once a month, solidly, I'll have a whole day where my for you Instagram is all backroom stuff set to like <laughs> weird dropsy music. And it's kind of great because it's a world that I'm in that I vacation in, mm. but then I can go do other things. So it's 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 I like the, I like the backrooms. Um, they're they're kind of for me, but it's also I haven't really played the game, so I'm very passive <laughs> in viewership. But I but that's okay. Uh, backrooms is something you don't have to get into. Liminal Park is it a place where you stay and you can never leave, or is it like yes. a warning? What what is so, Liminal Park? Tell well, me about this in relation so, to and especially.
1: Okay. Uh, a a little brief background to it. Um, Liminal Land was an incredibly highly popular theme park. From that reached the heights of its popularity in the 1980s. It was said at one point to surpass Disneyland in terms of attendance. Disneyland will refute this, but anyone that knows Liminal Land will know that it was the hot spot to be in during its heyday. Now. Despite this, there's very actual little information remaining about Liminal Land, Um, and after its surprise sudden closure, it's been near impossible for anyone to find any information on it. Thankfully, the, the Liminal Land Recovery Project, whose website you've opened up, is doing its absolute best to bring all sorts of videos and photos and documentation to light, to prove that Liminal Land did want to exist. Now, people that went to Liminal Land absolutely loved it. But all of those weird little disappearances, no one could ever quite explain. And then it started to get to the point of, actually, why should you leave Liminal Land? After all, you know, if there was holiday accommodation on the park, then you would not never have to leave. So, underneath the park, with all its fantastic, interesting rides, they built a massive underground complex called Home. So, the fun never has to stop. They have everything from homes, um, water parks, playrooms, everything you can imagine, layer after layer after layer underneath the park. Welcome to Home, where you'll never have to leave. Because the liminal land is part of you.
0: I like this concept a lot. Um, this is one of the first um, found footage ideals that takes place in the American West, too. Mm. Um, so liminal land is reportedly to have been set in New Mexico. So it's like finding out Dollywood is in Tennessee. You're like, why is it there? <laughs> um And New Mexico is an interesting place to do it in because it's desert but it's also American consumerism right I also love Liminal Land uh, because these pictures I'm seeing have this idea of incomplete body horror to it so it's not um, like uh, Brian Yuzna's body horror film that I really like Uh, but it's this idea of taking the backrooms to the next logical extreme of how it messes with you physically, as well as psychologically, of how it beckons certain people. Um, I like this as kind of like a Stonehenge fairyland, almost traditional British fairy tale where you stay away, but it also beckons you type of thing. I bet like this is the kind of thing that. Uh, uh, the guy that made uh, Guillermo del Toro that made Pan's Labyrinth would really dig on for Liminal Land uh, and there <laughs> is just even if you just YouTube it or look at pictures on Google mm. Images Liminal Land has this really rich sounding history um, for being something I'm just caring about so it'll probably be in my Instagram tonight more, more likely I, than
1: anything. I would definitely recommend even checking out a video essay on in the land so because it's an ARG um it involves the website videos photos and there is actually a couple of password ciphers as well to unlock certain key evidence yeah. to give you the story of what's going on I really don't want to spoil I think it's one of the, it's one of the best put together ARGs that's come out in the last year um uh, what, and... what is
0: ARG for our listeners that oh. don't have any idea what the hell ARG is? Uh, what, is it alternate reality goggles. I guess that's my
1: best. Well, oh, it's um, alter reality game. Realistically, oh. um, not necessarily a game that's um, I probably got it wrong. Oh. No, ARG
0: is Alternate Reality Game or the abbreviation for Argentina. So it's one of those two Uh,
1: things. I'm going to have to quickly bring it up because I'm probably speaking... Alternate Reality Game, yes, I did get it right. When you said goggles, I started thinking... It's not goggles, is it? Well, I keep thinking
0: the idea of if you're using, like, an Oculus Rift headset to look at Liminal Land or look at these kinds of things. Uh, That that reminds (laughs) me vaguely... Uh, when Donnie Darko came out, this wasn't part of Provo, but after the movie came out, a Donnie Darko website was created. And I don't know if you can still play it because I think it relied on Flash, but it was the idea of covering, uncovering the pieces of information the movie leaves out or that enriches the story. And it's a way that you interact with something where you have to search for it and you have to mm-hmm. do the work and you become part of the story simply by doing the work, even if you don't necessarily add to the narrative. Of course, I'm a big fan of One Day at Horrorland is my favorite Goosebumps book. It has been since I was little. So mm-hmm. Liminal Land and this Park and this idea of these not quite there kind of demonic, but maybe also benevolent amusement parks. Uh, it, they keep coming back. There's a really great Romero film uh, mm. About a man experience Alzheimer's, and he experiences it through the lens of an amusement park. Uh, and so there is this really rich history of horror in amusement. Um, and I love Liminal Land for that. I love the backrooms for that too, because uh, it's such an mm. easy thing. It, it, it's not quite effortless. The people of Liminal Land have worked really hard for it, obviously. Uh, mm. But it's it's this effortless way to join horror and fun together and still give you that hit of dopamine that you need, but in an <laughs> un, unexpected way. Uh, society, by the way, that's the Brian in a film I'm thinking of where uh, all the rich people aren't human anymore and they, they're like secretly sucking the life out of uh, poor people. Wild movie, wild ending, uh, society, great body horror, but Limital End gives me a bit of that society feel, which mm. I love.
1: Mm yes i as i said i really don't want to spoil it but it go there is a couple of directions it goes in which fit the story but you might not necessarily expect so there's a great couple of surprises in there um so i really do recommend checking it out even if you don't want to go looking for the clues yourself just find a good video essay online to cap to check it out on
0: i look forward to it uh just based on the length of this episode i know Mm. that you want to talk about the walton files and winter of 93 which i could find absolutely nothing about
1: uh, it's the the winter of 83 i got uh i got a numeral wrong (laughs)
0: when i when i googled winter of 93 i was like yes snow is evil i've seen that stephen king miniseries but i had the wrong thing so in interest of time uh because walton Mm. files has a very vhs tape thing and we're kind of talking about vhs tape and winter of 83 if you want to do those real quick uh and then we'll go back toward film because i i want to make sure we get all of your your stuff in so
1: okay i'll touch on it quickly um yeah these are some of the great uh, works that have come out in recent years that are just fantastic and they're they're really solid examples of what talented people can do in the genre e- even just like having on youtube and youtube like it really shows what you can use such a public access uh, platform like it for so the walton files um is it, it takes place in a family restaurant um it's sort of like a. It's an archive of found videotape cassettes and adverts and things, for this family restaurant called Bonds Burgers. Um, it has its own cast of animatronics and such. What makes it stand out, though, from the comparison to Five Nights at Freddy's, which it's clearly been inspired by, dare I say, it's a lot more intense and visceral. There's a real, powerful tragedy at the centre of the story that um, The Walton Files is telling. It, in a way, it's a lot more personal than Five Nights at Freddy's was, because you end up becoming a lot more connected to the various characters which the story is telling you about. Um, and because of that, I think that's why it's become so hooked upon. Um, it's still an ongoing series as of now, um you'll find that there's let me think. It's one, two. There's three major uploads for the series and a lot of additional side mini videos and such. So it is very much still the story's being told. It's half complete, but what has been told is just absolutely fantastic. Um and it's sort of gone to places that Five Nights at Freddy's could never really go to, in terms of, like, tragic backstory without changing the very nature of what Five Nights at Freddy's is about. I, I know that's a very...
0: <laughs> that's okay, that's, that's, a what, that's what Steel Wool is doing to Five Nights all the time, so it's perfectly fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know that's a very basic overview of what Walter Files is. It's really difficult to not spoil anything with it. Now the winter of eighty of eighty three on the other hand, um, again gripping, again it's horror, but there is actually also a vein of comedy running for it. Um it was but so the winter of eighty three was actually released as a comedy horror anthology for April Fool's Day. Um I would have to oh, I can't remember the name of the creator. I'll have to look it up. Um, it's by the comedian. And this was his first venture into analog horror. Um, so you may think of it as being a joke. Um, it's set in... The story is set in a small town called Fawns Circle. Um, it follows the events of a small cast of characters as this horrible blizzard starts blowing in over the town and strange incidents start happening. People, oh, Quite a few people are disappearing. Um... And there's a real vein of mad science running through everything. But at the same time, it is actually genuinely creepy in parts. Um, and there's gr- there's a great reason why it's become a bit of a sort of word of mouth analog horror series. But things like the Walton Files and Five Nights, sort of like popularized by their own success, whereas some of stuff like the winter of eighty three very much, the word of mouth. Um I definitely recommend checking it out. You can binge the entire thing because the creator uploaded it as one video onto his channel in the end. Um I really need to say the name of the guy. One second. Just find it. Run to eighty three. It was by Lewis uh Love from Atop the Fourth Wall. I don't know if that means anything to you.
0: <laughs> that doesn't mean anything to me, but it'll mean something to someone out there, or it will mean something to them later. And yes. as we've no- listened in sound footage, everything that happens in the beginning is important to everything that happens at the end. Uh, so that's perfectly fine.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. So they're coming from way different angles, but they're both great examples of the genre. And really great examples of of this massive trend towards analog horror that's happening on youtube at the second and personally i'm all here for it i think it's one of the most exciting veins of storytelling that's happening at this moment so yeah i'm eager to see what else comes from it next
0: no i love that and horror horror has always found a way to survive uh Every time people think horror as a genre is dead, something (laughs) happens to it. Found footage was one of the things that brought it back to life. Uh, I think there's something about the way people like to participate in horror. It's why something like the 10 Candles tabletop gaming series is so popular, which is something I'll be doing this Halloween, by the way. I'm very excited to get to play in 10 Candles again. Um, I'm very excited about having my own kind of ghost hunting style group. Um, destination Investigations which is a lot of fun <laughs> to really throw into the horror tropes of what happens when people go into these haunted spaces um, and that's something that's really cool about found footage is it is kind of evolving with the medium. It is still traditionally about film but I would argue things like the Walton Files, the uh, the Five Nights at Freddy thing with the little girl that tries to go in to prove that the animatronics are moving. I think it's called like Search and Rescue. So it's the like unofficial sequel that never got made or whatever. Um, so I have one that I'm going to talk about that is kind of the newest and it's one of my favorites. It's not as well-loved at this point, but if you really love it, you really get it, you really love it. But before I talk about that, I'm just going to go through my list of ones I'm not going to talk about so that people can kind of look them up because I think this mine entry will take the rest of the time here. So the one I'm not, the ones I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about Grave Encounters, which is the um, kind of deadly asylum hospital that has like a Cthulhu theme to it. Uh, Grave Encounters is one of my favorites. Uh, one that I found last year is a ripoff of reality TV called Dead Set, where a zombie apocalypse happens, and like it's like a Big Brother UK style thing. And so the zombie apocalypse happens while people are competing in UK, Big Brother. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely fell in yeah, love I with Dead Set, De- the Dead Set miniseries, and I found it on Netflix. Um, <laughs> I don't know where you find it now, but the Dead Set miniseries is absolutely amazing. Zombie kind of found footage, kind of not. It lives in that blurred space, but it's great. Um, I would be remiss if, when not talking about found footage or to not mention Wreck. Uh, which started as a 2007 Spanish found footage, but is now its own Mm. sort of uh, mini anthology series. Uh, Wreck is not quite zombie found footage, but it's not quite body horror found footage. Wreck is amazing. Um, It really does that kind of isolated, claustrophobic thing really well without over-explaining. I love, and this is one of my favorite ones everyone loves, Ganjiam Haunted Asylum, which I believe is uh, Korean. Uh, it is built as one of Korea's most haunted locations. And Ganjiam Haunted Asylum is the perfect, why are you idiots going into that building? <laughs> it's Korean found footage is something else. Uh, 0. 0.0 megahertz is up there with that. Um, they're like, when I look at found footage, asylum films that are done by like uh, British or Parisian, or German. I always go back to Ganjiam. I think Ganjiam Haunted Asylum is maybe one of the best found footage films ever made. Uh, Korean horror and Korean dark is so different from American and Western sensibilities. Mm -hmm. I have so many questions and I love that I have questions that it never answers. Ganjiam is great. (laughs) Um, Kind of Canadian, but also kind of American. Curse of Aurora. Curse of Aurora has a really interesting opening where it's this flash drive that gets sent to a guy that does YouTube videos, and then it plays straight from him showing the footage from these YouTube videos. Uh, Chris of Aurora is kind of amazing, both the poster for it, which has a very like Jesus-y feel, um, to the trailer, Mm -hmm. to the actual time spent in Canada in the film itself. Um, I'm a big proponent of the VHS series, which is an anthology horror series, Not as even as I'd like it to be. Uh, They have a new one coming out next year. They just had one come out, which was 99. I think VHS 2 and VHS 94 are probably my top two favorites, Uh, but for Anthology or Found Footage, I much prefer the VHS series to ABCs of Death, but I know people love ABCs of Death, uh, the VHS series, but the one that I really want to talk about for Found Footage, which is kind of in the lineage of Blair Witch Witch into now more, not sanitized, but more formalized kind of found footage. Uh, Less shaky cams, more steady cams, more um, planning out of the story. I'm going to talk about the Hell House LLC series. Um, It started off really strong. People really loved it. People didn't like the second one as much. People aren't as big on the third one. I am so excited for the trailer, the origins of Carmichael Manor, I believe which comes out uh, this Halloween Eve. Um, Hell House is a series where you either get it and you love it, or you're like, this is dumb. Why would I watch this? (laughs) Um, There's so many elements happening at one time and it's great. So Hell House LLC takes place in a place called Abaddon, upstate of New York. It's the idea of this uh, not quite bed and breakfast a small motel hotel outside of abaddon the person that had owned the house andrew tully uh created a cult and there was mass suicide mass ritual suicides and killings um and basically if you ever enter hell house llc you don't leave so all the film crews that go in which is the conceit of the movie uh the first film has people creating a haunted house experience which is a trap that is sprung and you find out in the third act by who. And it's the idea of found footage on various layers. It's the idea of a house that is finite but disorienting. It's the idea of you don't know what's going on with the cult members. It's the idea of they bring in these dead clown bodies that they think are mannequins but are actual living clown people that murder and they get up throughout the course of the movies, and you never know quite when. Uh, Andrew Tully is a really great callback to like the Tall Man mythology where it's the creepy old white guy that has just lived past his years and might actually be a demon. Um, it gets a little biblical in the third one. I actually don't mind Hell House 3. I know people have feelings about that. Um, Hell House LLC is kind of the pinnacle of found footage in its more traditional form for me. Whereas Grave Encounters goes over the rails and does too many things at once, Hell House LLC kind of pulls back to the formula. It's the people where one of them knows more than they should and they're not telling and then everybody else is doomed. Uh, This is the kind of thing I would buy merch for. If there was merch, I would buy it as a whole series. If there was like a trilogy DVD pack available, uh, it's the kind of thing I would write for if they wanted a writer. (laughs) there is this great idea of going not quite to the wilderness. They're not in a tent like in Blair Witch, but they're staying in this hotel essentially of the damned as they make the hotel into a literal haunted house attraction, and they are entombing themselves in this place. Mm. Um, It's super cool in that one person ends up in the walls, one person set up catatonic, and they don't explain why or how And the idea of that, the house sends people out in the community to get people to come and back. So people that have died there may end up having either their spirit or someone use their face. And the conceit of it as found footage is people show up that are hitchhikers that have other people drop them off at the hotel, then they end up going inside. Uh, The great scene with the guy that's the fake TV psychic that goes in with his person <laughs> uh, that's his cameraman and they both end up disappearing and dying in the house uh, there's it's a really great built mythology around a very small place so unlike say the haunting unlike the back rooms where it goes on forever hell house is a finite building and from the outside it does look very small it looks like a place that is not too formidable just run down but inside you know you take for granted the idea of the bar space uh the dining room where the where the cult stuff happened the bedrooms mm. upstairs there's nowhere in the building that is safe it's not just the basement that is creepy it's not just the empty attic that is creepy it's not just the fact that people disappear in its walls it's there is hell house LLC is what you do with a really great finite space in creating mythology mm. um i think that it is kind of the finite tale of the original idea, found footage, and everything after it feels like it's going in a new direction. But I think Hell House for me is kind of a love letter to found footage because it takes all the tropes of it, um, including almost the teens having sex trope they get from like Cabin <laughs> in the Woods, is really a part of Hell House, and I appreciate it because it's also this bittersweet story of people that love each other losing their loved ones and then going in and then losing themselves uh there are some criticisms of it as it gets further along in the series people really start to hate how big the mythology is but i love the mythology of it and i love that the questions aren't always answered and if they are they're answered unsatisfactorily in a way that you hate um I love that because we don't see that much. People now have a thirst for answers that are satisfactory. Mm. You know, yeah. I sometimes, when I watch horror, I don't want answers. And that's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't need to know why the house in The Haunting is the way it is. It's an evil house that wants to kill people that try to hurt it. That's fine. I don't really need more than that. Uh, <laughs> and Hell House does some of that. Yeah. Um, the idea that you're sending people out into various communities that are actually these spirits to draw people back, the idea that the melody played on the piano ends up in some kid's head um, in the past, and he plays it and doesn't know what the melody is, and he ends up trapped at the hotel later, potentially, is mm. this really great thing of how you tell stories and get them out in the world. Uh, Backrooms mm. does this really well, too. Um, yes. about the idea of who is seeing this story because it's not just people that quote unquote no clip into the back room it's also people that have looked close to it around the edges and then find it it's uh, there's a great I don't know if it's a horror film or a horror tabletop game about the idea of getting trapped at Ikea and just being trapped at Ikea <laughs> forever which I really love uh, yeah so that's you look like hmm. you, you were going to say something there. Um,
1: they, might, they, they might have made a game of it. Um, I know that that's an SCP article, that people get lost in Infinite Ikea. Um, yeah. They People do occasionally escape from the Infinite Ikea, um, but there's not really a sort of dedicated way out.
0: Yeah, it's so... called Horror Store, with the little dots over the R from 2014. So Horror Store actually, in its incarnation, it's actually a little older than the back rooms, I guess, but uh, it's also just something that you see every now and then is the Ikea horror story of getting lost and getting tired. I think horror does that really well too. Found footage horror is the idea of getting lost and then having all the adrenaline and then losing your adrenaline and being very tired and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think that's why found footage works because it has that vulnerability of past horror without going into the final girl headspace and leaving one person alive. It often does that, or it doesn't leave anybody alive to tell the story. But found footage is really Mm. the idea of getting trapped. And that is a lot of people's fear, even if they don't know it. Uh, I think Five Nights works really well in that way, because it's about the idea of being trapped and having absolutely nothing you can bargain Mm. with to get out. Like, the animatronics are stronger and bigger than you and made of metal. Nothing you can do about it. In Hell House, it's, <laughs> these cult members are dead and you can't murder them. Nothing you can do about it. Um, these mm. clowns might be dead. No idea. That's what the trailers, The Origins <laughs> trailer is going to dive into the clowns. And I'm very excited about it. Mm. Um, but I really wanted to make sure we touched on Hell House. And we have a couple minutes mm. left uh, before this episode ends. Do you have anything about found footage you want to add that we didn't get to? Uh Magnus.
1: I think very quickly the f- one thing I'll mention is one of my favorite things about fan footage is the fact that it very like it's not just modern storytelling, it touches on urban myth urban myths, but then also um traditional mythology and legends and such. Like different of course different series will touch on like different things and have their own takes on such but the fact they can easily look at all of these sort of different um styles of storytelling or different like influences and such i find that really great and that they don't limit themselves in their style of horror telling um yeah
0: yeah, I love that. Uh, so we're gonna, I'm going to end this episode with a question uh, before we sign off. Before I say, ta-da! Um, what are your favorite found footage uh, movies out there? What ones have we mentioned that you love? What ones have we not mentioned that you love? Because there are a ton of them. Uh, what are your, some of your favorite hidden gems? And what are the, some of the ones that are super dumb that only you love? Um, because that kind of uh, horror movie happens all the time as well. Thank you for tuning in. I want to remind you all to stay spooky on this homo-slash-Halloween, and we'll see you next time on Everything is Gay, Even the Straight Stuff. Ta-da!
2: Ta-da! Bye!